Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. Everywhere else you go, you're going and you're buying a ticket and that's the end of it. What we've wanted to do is truly build a relationship with consumers where we can add more and more value to them. Differentiating your company from a crowded field is not easy, but relentlessly talking to customers, zeroing in on what they want and giving back to them is a great way to do it. We've got the only loyalty program in the business. We've added benefits like earning DraftKings dollars. And on top of that, you know, we have access to really cool invite-only events. So you look at that slate of offerings, and I think we've just got such a differentiated product versus everybody in the landscape, economically, and from an engagement perspective. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. Competition breeds innovation, and when companies are successful at it, it usually means big benefits for consumers. For smart companies with a clear vision, opportunity can be found even in the most established industries. You just need to know where to look. Someone who has no trouble spotting that potential is Stan Chia, CEO of Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats is a ticket exchange and resale marketplace that was taken public in October of 2021 through a special purpose acquisition company but they've been making waves in the industry for a lot longer. They started gobbling up market share before most people even recognized their name, and they show no signs of stopping. I talked to Stan about what he thinks Vivid Seats is doing differently than other players in the ticketing resale space, and really what they did to maintain customer trust throughout the pandemic. Lastly, we talked about why they're a great example of how a SPAC transaction can go right. Let's enter the arena with Stan Chia. I think I've been really privileged to have a, a fairly diverse background, you know, growing up in the United States, but being born in Singapore, I always like to say, you know, I served in the military there, and that was certainly a big part of, of my journey, defining who I am and how I lead. Certainly after that, you know, my career has gone in a bunch of different directions and industries, but I've had the good fortune of spending the past 10 plus years in, in tech. I was at Amazon, a couple strategic roles, a couple retail roles. Prior to Vivid Seeds, I served as chief operating officer at Grubhub, um, had a great time, had a great passion in general for marketplaces. And then as Grubhub was headquartered in Chicago, got to know the community um, and then got introduced to the GTCR folks, which is a fantastic private equity firm here in Chicago. And they talked to me about this opportunity they had with a consumer marketplace, Vivid Seats. And the story I still tell, which is amazing and still gets me so excited about the opportunity ahead of us is 
I think when they first told me about it, I almost discounted it because I hadn't heard anything about Vivid Seats. I didn't know who they were. Um, and so I thought this was a nascent company, probably too early stage for where, where I'd like to be in my career. And when I saw the numbers was just blown away, right? You've got a $2 billion top line, call it roughly 20% of the market segment. If you, if you categorize the secondary ticketing as about $11 billion growing, profitable, right? Over $100 million in EBITDA, yet sub 10% in consumer awareness, you know? And so I looked at that opportunity, you know, where I've been passionate building, you know, marketplaces, building consumer products and brands and, and this opportunity ahead of me. And that got me really excited. And so I joined the company in November of 2018. Yeah. It seems like uh, with the Fed posturing, at least to raise interest rates, some of the unprofitable tech companies are kind of getting a little bit re-rated and everybody gets painted with that brush. But to have that kind of scale and profitability already, I would imagine positions you in, in a great way for all the opportunity that's coming your way. What, what does it mean to be a public company to you in terms of having another currency and a fortified balance sheet? How, how do you view that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, one, you look at the milestone, you know, Vivid Seats, 20 years old and in 2021 and just what a way to commemorate the 20th anniversary to complete the business transaction and combination and, and go public, which I think is such a testament to the hard work of, of the team, you know, and the investors and the founders of the company that they built. You know, when I look at what a public company does and what it allows us to is certainly wonderful access to the capital markets, which is fantastic. And when you look at how that positions us again, as you think about our balance sheet, we went from a position We've always been, I think, as, as I mentioned, profitable. And beyond that, you know, you think about the nature of our business. We also convert over 100% of EBITDA to cash flow, right? So we generate a lot of cash. Being a private equity-owned company, we, we certainly had debt on the books. And through this transaction, we were able to completely delever the business when you think about that. And some of our outperformance has yielded a, 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 now where we sit not only in a net debt zero position, we actually sit in a net cash position. And on top of that, we now have public currency. And so when we look at the strong balance sheet, the strength of our fundamental business combined with additional currency we have, I think it gives us the opportunity to be really aggressive as we look at organic and inorganic ways that we can look to drive, you know, increased consumer value through the offerings that we have. And we did that almost out of the gate, right? Went public in October of 2021. In December, we were able to meet and, and close on an acquisition with, again, some terrific founders of a business called Betcha, which is a daily fantasy product. So easy, so intuitive, you know, just great to use. And one of the thematic things we looked at doing when we were investing in our own consumer product was to drive up engagement. And so we looked at that combination of a hyper-engaging product with gamification components in a daily fantasy spot where we can now monetize that engagement. And you look at the audience and the synergies between someone who's playing a game in a sports category. And if you're doing that, I'd say you're probably likely to want to go to the event as well. And us having, you know, a $2 billion plus ticket marketplace with some of the best in class inventory and best offerings to consumers across our rewards program. And we felt really excited about that. So a long answer, but hey, yeah. you know, the public currency certainly has served us well out of the gate. No, it's great. And I want to come back to the acquisition later, but also just having the ability to attract the greatest people around. And it's such a dogfight to get great people, particularly in tech right now. The senior team you have, the people that you're onboarding, at the end of the day, that's such a massive difference maker in a public company. And I have to think you're pretty pleased with that as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think the company wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be here without the people that we have around us, right? And maybe a recent milestone, which again, I think I'm just proud of the team and the culture we built, you know, recently named one of built-ins best places to work in Chicago, which I think is, again, just a testament to the culture we've built, you know, why this is such a fun place to work. But you look at the senior team and I, and I go, we've got leaders across their industries from technology and product with Reva Bacall, just a fantastic, strong leader who's been a banker, been product in multiple marketplaces, just great. John Wagner and our technology group, you know, running that. He's seen financial tech, he's seen e-commerce, he's seen data, he's seen algorithms, just a great add to the team. Larry Fay, our CFO, I always joke about this because, you know, he was an investor at GTCR, a partner there who actually helped bring me into the company. And when he tried to think about, hey, what was next for him? And I make this joke all the time, you know, especially since we were involved in the sports industry, you know, and I said, hey, look, you've kind of been in the minors. You know, if you're thinking to get up in the majors and stop investing and actually run an operational role, why don't you come here and be CFO with me? And he's come in and and done that. And, you know, I could go on about the folks we have, Sarah on the people side, Jeff running commercial operations and, and our new CMO to help lead the brand who we were able to recruit from Shinola, which incidentally won coolest brand Mad Week last week. I just can't think of a better team to have around me as we work together to, to really raise Vivid Seats profile and, and continue, you know, the amazing trajectory that we're on. Yeah, well, you know, at the end of the day, investors are betting on the senior management team and it sounds kind of like a 20-year overnight success, but you've certainly arrived. The industry that you play in is so fascinating and cool and interesting. Why don't you tell us about kind of the competitive dynamics, what makes uh, Vivid Seats pop in that environment where you do have different players good at different things? How do you see you guys positioned in the industry and what makes you different? Yeah, so maybe I'll start with just the landscape. When you think about the ticketing business and maybe on the resale or, or secondary side, you know, 2019, about an $11 billion space. And when you look at that space, there are really only three scaled and profitable players, which I think reemphasizes the point you made before. You know, this is a scaled network effects business. You really need that to be profitable. And, and I think as uh, folks and investors start to have maybe less patience for unprofitable companies, I think this is an industry where you've got three um, that are profitable and scaled. You've got StubHub. If you look at 2019, when they were part of eBay, that disclosure, about $4.5 billion of the 11. You've got us at $2.3 billion of that. And then Ticketmaster, who doesn't disclose, but we've got access to some data that has us maybe triangulating them to be about $2 billion. And there you've got 9.5 out of the 11 sitting there with the scaled players. And then I think when in the tail, I would say, you've got a, a, a smattering of, of groups that I think are trying to figure out the right niche to come in, you know, whether that's SeatGeek, a Game Time, some of these folks who are trying to figure out, is, is there a way to come in? When you look at where we are perhaps out of the three that are scaled and profitable, we are really one of the only ones that continues to grow, right? And then when you look at where we've invested now and maybe start on the consumer side, I almost like to describe it as everywhere else you go, you're going and you're buying a ticket and that's the end of it. What we've wanted to do is truly build a relationship with consumers where we can add more and more value to them. We've got the only loyalty program in the business. We enhanced that as we came out and emerged from COVID with some of the investments we'd made in the product. Our loyalty program now rewards every single user with 10% in earned value on every ticket that they buy. We've added benefits like earning DraftKings dollars, right? Again, we're really bullish on this theme of being engaged and we can think of no better way than giving you a, a DraftKings benefit there. 
I mean, then on top of that, we've got surprise and delight elements where you'll occasionally get upgraded with us as a loyal member of our loyalty program. And on top of that, you know, we have access to really cool invite-only events. And since we launched that and we're Chicago headquartered, we did that first event at Lollapalooza at a Lollapalooza after party, which our friends at Rolling Stone helped us throw here at Tau in Chicago. And it was originally meant to just be an intimate performance with Roddy Rich, but you know, at the end of the day, he ended up bringing some friends like Chance the Rapper and other folks. So can think of really no better thing. So you look at that slate of offerings, and now we add Betcha, you know, as a continued way to engage with users. And I think we've just got such a differentiated product versus everybody in the landscape, economically and from an engagement perspective. And then when you look at the other elements that I think matter in any platform, you know, you're looking for trust, you're looking for security. The other investments that we've made, I think, have really paid off. We've got 100% buyer guarantee. You know, we stood by that through the entirety of the pandemic, continue to stand by that, where I think we're the only marketplace that never took a cash refund option away when an event got canceled. And now for three years running, you know, we've been recognized by Newsweek as best customer service and ticketing. So I look at that and feel fantastic, you know, I think about um, how differentiated we are versus the competition, in particular on the on the consumer side. That's called doing the right thing by customers. And, you know, you have a lot of institutional investors and they come in all shapes and sizes and some are great and some, you know, are just all about every dollar flowing to the bottom line. You have to invest in customers. You have to do the right thing. That's how you get to be the best place to work. It's how you have an amazing brand that's growing and resilient. And it sounds to me, like you're really veering into building a community because look at the end of the day everyone loves concerts they love sports they love theater and you know with the betcha acquisition in particular and everything you have going on it really seems like you're moving clearly in that direction towards community building and having just an amazing group of people do business with you guys at scale yeah i think the term that i'm looking at which I think we challenge our folks to think about as we build product and look for ways to do that is we want engaged users, right? We don't want you to just think of us as a place for a transaction. We want you to engage with us. We have to build valuable and engaging content so that as a user, you see value in coming to us and engaging with us and then ultimately placing that faith in us when you transact and buy tickets to to an event where we hope, you know, you'll have the time of your life and, and make, you know, memories that um, will last you a lifetime. So I have to think that part of your focus uh, every day from here is focusing on scalable technology, your tech stack, proprietary technology to you guys. Can you touch on your investments there and how that helps you be great and kind of the next few things that you're working on technology-wise that you can share? Yeah. One of the things that we've been very, I think, clear about and, and continue to think through, which drives a lot of our business and technology strategy is we are a marketplace um, at the end of the day. And marketplaces are, are multi-sided. You know, ours is no exception where there's a buyer and a seller. And as such, you know, we've ensured that our investments in tech are in products that add value to them. We, we spent a lot of time talking about the consumer side. And I would tell you, you know, we've got a great team that continues to build it in a scalable manner that allows us to develop at increased velocity and, and be reliable and scalable. The other products that I think we have that help really drive our flywheel one, on the seller side of the business, we have our Skybox product, which is the leading ERP 
in the seller community. So as you think about sellers and you know them looking to make sure that they have a, a way to grow their businesses, our ERP has now gotten over 50% of the professional selling community on our platform. And our estimates are that you know the second place product is probably in the low teens and probably losing share while we're at 50% and, and growing there. So I think that speaks volumes in terms of the, the product offerings and, and difference that we have. And then when you think about this world of digital marketing, we also have a proprietary digital marketing platform that we've now spent the last 10 years investing in, right? So we've got 10 years of first-party category-specific data, which allows us to be unique in terms of how we acquire users. You know, we're relevant, we understand trends, fueled by some of the data that comes from our marketplace, that comes from Skybox. That really shows up then on the P&L, right? And, and as we go on, we talk to investors, you know, one of the great things and why we see all this opportunity is despite having less than 10% consumer brand awareness, we are still first transaction profitable on every user that we acquire. And a lot of that is because we've got one, I think, great products, but two, because we've got a really efficient marketing platform that's unique that allows us to truly acquire you know, digital users in a very cost-effective manner. It's hard to think of many industries that were hit harder by the COVID-19 pandemic than live events. But with vaccines and boosters readily available, it seems like we're finally turning a corner. Personally, I'm a New York Ranger fan, and I know I'm ready to get back in the stands. I asked Stan what trends he's seeing right now, and if most people like me seem ready to stop staring at screens and start experiencing real life again. If you go back to maybe 2020, where you saw events getting canceled at mass scale, right? And and really the you know, the right thing to do, vaccines weren't out there. There was a lot of public health concern. I think we're just at a different spot today. You know, we really haven't seen anywhere close to that. You know, I think perhaps a couple of artists on the music side have proactively canceled. But when you look at what's happened in the industry with college football, the NHL with they were all postponements, right? And certainly some of the shows that have happened to this industry was almost impacted the same way you heard airlines impacted, right? Where you've got, you know, just not enough staff because it's the staff themselves that were out with COVID. And, and that's what we saw here. It was the teams, it was the actors at the shows, the crew on the set. A lot of them ended up with COVID, I think, as the country went through that spike. And so I think as shows and events were impacted, we saw postponements, which I think is the big difference here in terms of what we saw. So as I said, I think the show continues to go on. I think you continue to see demand, right? I think venue operators are certainly being stricter um, and more health conscious with vaccine requirements and negative tests in a lot of cases being asked for to be allowed to attend. I think the fans have responded. And, you know, what we continue to see is people really like getting together and people really like experiencing things live. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems to me that the worst is over. Knock on wood, you guys seem ideally position, certainly with all this pent-up demand for live events. When you sit down with investors, and this is a new part of your job being being a public company, and you tell the story, what do you think people miss about Vivid Seats? Do you think there's something that you feel is underappreciated or isn't understood widely by the investment community? Any one thing pop into your mind? Maybe there's two areas, and I'll start with the first one, which I touched on briefly before, you know, often because of the industry that we participate in, I think we naturally get looked at as, oh, this is live events and tickets. So, hey, look, we should look at this like a live nation. We should look at this like Eventbrite, which they certainly impact the industry. But 
we are fundamentally not that business, right? We are a marketplace technology business, much more akin as we talk to an Etsy or Bumble or DoorDash. You know, we connect constituents. And as I mentioned above, our economics reflect a lot of that dynamic. The products and the technology that we have reflect that dynamic. So I think when you think about that, that's oftentimes what we or myself and Larry try to convey is, look, this is a marketplace business and all the things we stress, network effects, all of that. So I think that's Probably step one where I think just talking to everyone and reminding them that at the end of the day, it is a fantastic and really exciting industry that we partake in, but we ourselves are not a live events company. We are a tech marketplace um, is probably one point. I think the second thing, which is a little bit old news, but I think worth bringing up, certainly especially at the time we came out, you've got you know this conversation on SPACs, are they good or bad, the SPAC lash that you know kind of happened in part. And, and I always have a little bit of a soapbox and a pedestal here, you know, where I, I like to, to get on it for a moment. So give me that privilege here today, Tom. Where of course. Yeah, absolutely. I think we are the textbook definition of how to structure a SPAC with perfect alignment all the way up and down. And a lot of that is because we struck the jackpot here when we found just an amazing partner in, in Todd Boley. So all the critiques I'd say that SPACs have, you know, I think we don't have any of them. And I give credit to, I think, Todd again and and the investors on my side for making sure that that alignment was there. One, as we've talked about, we're a business that historically has always been growing and profitable. So none of the, hey, after this combination, we're magically going to be profitable. We don't, we didn't have any of that. And look, we came out of the gate and we showed that, you know, strong return in the third quarter with 42 million in adjusted EBITDA. The other things you hear about, what happens with redemptions? What happens with, you know, the promote? Is there misalignment there? You know, I think Todd was such a great partner that said, look, I, I believe in this company. I think there's a lot of value here. So I want the company to have cash certainty on close. So I'm going to fully backstop that, which puts us in a fantastic position, right? As we as we come out of the gates, we knew exactly what our balance sheet was going to look like and could make forward-looking you know, decisions without that uncertainty. Um, the other big part of it was he said, I, Todd said, you know, I would love to be aligned all the way up and down and not to have this potential misalignment where the promote might drive some misperception, especially in the public markets. So he took the entirety of his promote in the form of warrants, right? Struck at 10 and 15. And so you look at that again and you say, you know, there's just total alignment. If the deal trades down at all, right, he's out of the money. He's never not in the money when anybody else is out. And so you look at that across that. And, and again, Anyone who looks at us and paints us with the SPAC brush and think, oh, there's another SPAC which has all of the same risks and all of the same misalignments, I say, absolutely not. We have a wonderfully strategic partner, first and foremost, right, with Eldridge and all of their investments across entertainment, whether it was, you know, DraftKings, whether it was the ownership of the Dodgers, Penske Media, all these great assets that are truly strategic to us. But beyond that, the actual structure of the transaction was, I think, again, textbook terms of how to drive alignment all the way up and down. And I'm really proud of that. I think that was just a great thing that um, we were able to do. Yeah, it's a, a really important point, and I'm glad you made it. The market is notorious for just broad brushing every company. I remember ICR has been around for almost 25 years. We were through the first dot-com bubble, and every single company was left for dead. And you know what? There were some very low-quality companies there, but there were a ton of undervalued companies that if the investors really picked through and looked at the companies on their merits, it might have been the trade of their lifetime. And so I think those two points are absolutely important. Sometimes investors can get confused. You know, 
everything needs to fit in a box, right? You need to have like the perfect comp and that doesn't always happen. And then you're caught up in, in a bit of a wave where there's a, a perception issue with SPACs. It's just like anything. I mean, maybe the days of uh, high profile celebrities doing SPACs are over and it goes to serial issuers with really smart backing like you guys have. And it's really just uh, the job of the investment community to sift through this. You just keep relentlessly telling your story, backing it up with good results like you guys have done, and people eventually take notice. That's just the way the public markets work, as you know. Another question for you, in a business like yours, you have to make investments from time to time that are not just defensive, but offensive. Maybe talk about how you see long-term revenue growth and EBITDA margin targets, and then also maybe the diversification of the business as well. We are bullish on the opportunity in building a brand and building a product that then you know represents everything that the brand stands for. As we look at where we are, we had talked about committing to spending you know, in brand where we don't expect any near-term wins on that, right? We expect a lot of that to come in the out years as we think about that. One of the big things I think we looked at is this is a low frequency business. And so, as you said, an offensive move here is going to take time to return, right? You're a diehard Rangers fans with season tickets as we talk about kind of the, maybe the evolution of the demand side of this. And as, as folks skew a little bit more towards millennials and Gen Zs who are used to things on demand, they don't know what they're doing in an hour, let alone in two weeks, let alone in six months when you're buying a ticket ahead of time, right? So this is a lower frequency business. And so as we look at an investment here, we think that horizon to pay off will be longer. And so I think when we put projections out, we said in the first year of our brand marketing efforts, let's tell everyone, let's expect no benefit. Now, we certainly will hold ourselves to a much higher standard than that, but let's just project out as if there would be no benefits. Um, And I think that's where we've level set the community. We're going to make a a bet here on brand and investing that through channels that we haven't done to build that awareness up. And we expect, you know, that J-curve effect as we look, you know, to the out years, 23, 24, 25, that's when we think we're going to get leverage on that and the requisite kind of margin structure on top of that. Vivid Seats is a great example of a brand connecting with their customers in a big way. And unlike many tech-driven companies these days, they're profitable and growing. So investors are positioned to win as well. The success Vivid Seats is experiencing is proof that community trumps a cold, sterile transaction. And that's really the foundation that continues to propel the business forward. Welcome to the arena. We're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app or leaving a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. A big thank you to Stan Chia from Vivid Seats for joining me on the podcast today. They're absolutely killing it. They have a ton of momentum, and with more and more of us feeling comfortable getting back out in person to see events, they're certainly positioned to benefit from that momentum. I'm a client, and it's a great website, so please visit vividseats.com, pick an event, and get back out there. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. 
Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only, and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.